This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. If you're a loser, tune in and you'll be a winner. It's the Moranalytics Podcast. Talking Buffalo sports, Yankees, WWE, 80s music, and pop culture. And now, here's your host, Patrick Moran. All right, what is going on, podcast fans? How you doing? Welcome to episode number 111 of the Moranalytics podcast. Today is Tuesday, April 16th, 2019. Thank you, as always, for listening and for downloading. If you have not yet subscribed, please go ahead and do so. Also, take a quick minute, rate and review us. I say it every episode, and I say it because it's important. Just doing that, taking, what, maybe 30 seconds to a minute, hitting that subscribe button, giving us a five-star rating, all that fun stuff. It really helps me grow this podcast tremendously. So please go ahead and do that. Coming up on today's show, I have recurring guest, my man Aaron Quinn from CoverOne.net. He's going to be with me for the majority of the show today because we got a lot to talk about, including our third, so we'll call it version three, Buffalo Bills four-round mock draft done in real time. This is our third overall in a series of four. We'll do the fourth one next Tuesday, which will be just two days before the draft. But as things stand as of right now, this is how we're going to see things playing out. Actually, let me take that back. We don't know how things are going to play out because the computer, just like the first two times, is going to simulate the other 31 teams. So we do not control who's picked in front of us or who's picked after us. We're going to play Brandon Bean. And we're going to make it our picks based on how the computer picks ahead of us. In version one, somehow, Quinn and Williams fell to the Buffalo Bills all the way at number nine. <laughs> There's a spoiler alert, man. That shit ain't happening again. There's no way Quinn and Williams is going to be on the board at nine. But that's the way it played out the first time. Last week, we ended up with Ed Oliver, much more realistic. We'll talk about both of them. Some other scenarios. Again, four rounds we do. That'll be coming up in a little bit. Also, I know it's it's semi-old news now, but I have to talk about Sunday because Sunday was one of the best, and I really mean that, the best Sunday days of television that I've ever seen in my entire life. Ever. Ever. Tiger Woods at the Masters. You hear the term sitting on the edge of your seat. Well, Sunday afternoon, late morning, early afternoon, literally, I couldn't sit. I was walking around like an animal, pacing like crazy, driving my family nuts. Can't stand still. Tiger Woods winning the Masters. I I'm, I just, I can't believe I'm saying that again. I never thought it would happen again, but it did. I'm going to talk to Aaron about that. I'm going to get his reaction. 
see what it means to him. If it means anything at all, I'll tell him what it means to me, which is a lot. I don't want to talk about that now. I'll save that for when I talk to Aaron, but it meant a lot to me as a sports fan. I just loved everything about the story. And then, of course, when I woke up Sunday morning, I never in a million years thought Game of Thrones would be the second biggest story, TV story for me of the day. But it was because of Tiger, a man. What I think it was August of 2017 was the last time Game of Thrones was on before Sunday night. Probably the most anticipated TV series season premiere that I've certainly have ever been a part of. I don't know how other people feel about it, but it seemed to me like that was the case. I'll get Aaron's take on that as well. What we thought of episode one, only five more to go. Lots of stuff with Aaron. And by the way, on today's show, I also have Sean Chandler from the Sean Chandler Talks About YouTube page. I'm going to play an audio version with his permission, of course, of his brand new movie review of Pet Cemetery out in theaters now. I'm talking about the new 2019 version of the movie, not the 1989 original. I'm going to have that for you. Plenty to get to. Not going to mess around here at the top. Let's just get right down to business. Here's my man, Aaron Quinn from CoverOne.net. And again, Sean Chandler with the movie review of Pet Cemetery. You done messed up, A.A. Ron! All right, my man, Aaron Quinn is in the house. What's going on, bro? How you doing? Man, getting close to the draft, so I'm getting ready, and it's my favorite time of year, so I've never been better, man. Well, I told you, last week we talked about it, April being a great month for sports. Yeah. Didn't? It's not disappointing. (laughs) Not disappointing right now. You know where I'm going with this. We're going to talk about Game of Thrones. We're going to talk a little Buffalo Bills. Of course, we're going to do our four-round Buffalo Bills mock draft in real time. But listen, we got to start with Tiger Woods, dude. I know it's almost old news by the time people hear this on Tuesday, but I don't care. I got some shit I want to get off my chest. Got to get it off. The Masters Sunday, his fifth, 15th major, first major, 11 years, almost 4,000 days to be exact. I don't know about you. I don't know how much you watch of it because we haven't talked before this taping, how much of it did you watch on Sunday? And, and I know it's not easy for you as it is for me. I don't have, you know, a little kid running around that I need to take care of and things like that. So it's different for you. But in the case of me, I watched from start to finish and I physically could not stay in my seat on Sunday. I was pacing around like an animal, getting yelled at by my wife because I couldn't stay still. <laughs> I actually, so funny thing, I lettered in golf three years out of high school, I had, uh, almost scholarships to golf. I, my whole life revolved around golf oh, all really? growing up, wow. all growing up. And I have never watched golf on television all these years uh, of all that golf. But I actually wanted to watch this weekend because of all the, the tiger talk, but I got, I was so caught up in yard work because it was the first time we've had any bit of nice weather for, uh, this weekend here. And I got to get ready for the draft. If I'm going to watch the whole draft for three days in a row, you bet your ass. My wife has me doing yard work now. <laughs> so uh, I had to pick and choose when and where I can watch. And unfortunately I, I was on Twitter though. I was sitting in my shed, just kind of scrolling through Twitter, watching the feed as it happened live. And so I joined in the fun 
in a different way. I, I didn't get to watch it live, but I was joining along on Twitter and seeing the reactions and so freaking happy for Tiger in the game of golf. Oh. Uh, it, this is fantastic. As somebody who, like I said, passionate about golf all my life, playing the game, Tiger has been the number one ambassador for him to do this again this late in his career is just phenomenal. It's a phenomenal story. I'll tell you, now see me and you, are, it's a complete opposite story. When I was a kid, I never played golf in my life. You couldn't pay me to play golf, couldn't pay me to watch golf on TV. I knew of Jack Nicholas, I knew of Tom Watson, Lee Trevino, a couple of other guys, but I didn't watch golf. It wasn't until I got older, in fact, maybe a little bit before Tiger, but around that Tiger era where I really started to get into golf and I started playing, I was never really good. I could hold my own. I didn't embarrass myself on the course. I learned to play okay, but I became a huge golf junkie because of Tiger Woods. So in some regards, in a, in a weird way, he kind of changed my life a little bit. And I'll tell you, man, I was, I never thought he was going to win again. I'm going to be honest with you. Like I said, 11 years in between majors. It's just a long time. He's old. Yeah. He's physically broken down. He's went through, you know, everything emotionally and on the trouble that he got in, <laughs> which by the way, don't, don't you feel like that kind of humanized him in a way? I think it actually made him, it made him more popular. He was like a machine. He was like a golfing God at the time could do no wrong. He was perfect. It seemingly in every way. And then he got in trouble with the sexual, you know, the sex addiction stuff and, and some pills and, and the ugly divorce from his wife. And then the physically breaking down, these are things that happened to me and happened to you and happened to everybody. I think yeah. that kind of humanized him and it, and it made people, I think it actually in the long term won him more fans. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. I think uh, he had that stigma about him of just, like you said, being a machine, just golf was everything. But there's a real person behind there with a ton of pressure on him that we'll never know the amount of pressure that he had to face as a kid. When you go back, I mean, he's like the Michael Jackson of golfers, the way right. the pr amount of pressure his dad put on him. Uh, and all that came to a head. And I think when it's all said and done and there's some 30 for 30 documentary on Tiger Woods, it's going to be a fantastic look at his life and his accomplishments and then coming back uh, and putting his life back together. I mean, that's a great story for a lot of people that are out there struggling with different things in their lives to know that, hey, this guy went through something too, you know? Well, I'll tell you, I'm going to be honest with you. I almost tuned out pretty early on Sunday because of weather coming in. Instead of having that traditional, the last group tees off at around 2.45 p.m., they teed off at 9.20 in the morning. So it was morning watching Master Sunday instead of afternoon. That was different. But anyway, I almost tuned out because he bogeyed four and five and suddenly just like that he was three back of the lead and I'm like oh we've seen this before he can play a good round two good rounds maybe even three but four rounds especially in a major just physically at his age and everything that he's been through you just think that he doesn't have it anymore in fact I remember I tweeted at my friend and I said dude he's done kept I, I kept it I kept it on I turned the sound down on the tv but then I went on my laptop, started doing a little bit of work, messing around, keeping my eye on Twitter. And then <laughs> everything changed in that 12th hole. And he did it with just a par. Francesco Molinaro hit the water. He double bogeyed. And Tiger had trailed by two going into the hole. And right after that, he was tied. And Kepka, who's won three majors recently, I figured, all right, if Molinaro is going to fall apart to be Kepka, who would win, he went in the water two on 12, just like that. Tiger hits the green. He two putts for par. Ultimately, that won him the tournament. Just getting a par would win him a tournament. But let, let me ask you this, because like you said, you didn't get a chance to really watch this. And, and it's old news at this point. I'm not going to go hole by hole and how it happened. But 
beyond just winning the Masters big picture, what do you think it means for people as a sports fan? I mean, again, this is a guy who was on top of the world in 2009, and then it all fell apart, hurt his neck, sprained an MCL, his Achilles, he's had two back surgeries. It's just, it's crazy to say because of how dominant he was at one time, but to you, is this like an ultimate underdog comeback story for you? Dude was ranked like 674th in the world as early as two years ago. Yeah. I mean, the only thing I could compare it to is like, say, when Jordan played with the Wizards, if he would have led them to a final right. or even a playoff series win, uh, just that old back spasm, Michael Jordan, uh, just given one last push I in the biggest so stage. I am so glad you said Wizard. Because a lot of people said it's a comeback like MJ when he won three more titles. Bullshit, no, dude. No, no, he was still, he was still the man. He went and played yeah. baseball. He was still in his prime. He was still physically gifted. He was the man. You're exactly yeah. right, dude. That would be just like him at the end of his career when everyone thought he was washed up with the Wizard coming back and then winning an NBA ring and him winning MVP. I would literally, that's a perfect comparison to, well, there is no comparison because Michael Jordan didn't do it, but it's just like that. I don't know. Before we move on, for me personally, this ranks amongst my top five sports memories of all time. And that's how much Sunday meant to me as a sports fan. Again, you say you don't get a chance to watch golf as much. But for me, I do. And it's right up there. I got it. 51-3, the Bills' first AFC championship. That's always going to be number one to me, I think, just because of the momentum of going to the first Super Bowl. And that was a couple of weeks after my dad had passed away, too. So I'll never forget that day. Aaron Boone, I got. I sat down, by the way, and wrote this list out, the top five. Sports memories I have of all time. So 51-3, Aaron Boone's home run for the Yankees to beat Boston 2003. Derek Jeter's hit in his final at-bat in his last home game that won the game for the Yankees. And uh, Tiger Woods. And then I had the U.S. Olympic hockey team beating Russia in 1980, but I was only nine at the time. I really don't think I understood the context of what was happening there. Sure, I do remember geopolitical. Yeah, exactly. But I got—I'm telling you, man, Tiger for for me on Sunday—that's a top five of all time. Do you have a few favorite sports memories? You can remember off the top of your head, and it's not like you've had a lot of time to prepare for this discussion. Yeah, just off the top of your head, what's your? It's a. Yeah, it's a fun conversation. For me, unfortunately, some of the things that I remember the most are not great memories for me. Uh, One, I'm a Bills fan, so a lot of the most memorable things I've seen in my lifetime aren't great. Outside of the comeback game, obviously, everybody loves that one. That was one of my best memories. I was out at halftime. I started playing football with my friends. I was just a kid. And then our friend's dad, who the reason I'm a Bills fan is this group of friends, the dad is like, you guys better get in here now. Uh, quit playing and get in here. And we we got to watch the rest of the comeback. So that one always stands out to me. But uh, Michael Jordan's last shot on that second three-peat we just talked about, The uh, a lot of the Jazz fans are going to say it's a push-off. I'll say it's the most beautiful thing I've ever seen <laughs> in, in, yeah. in sports. Uh, actually brought tears to my eyes. I think it's one of the few times as a fan, a team that I liked, did something special the guy that i liked the most uh it was a, just a magical moment as a kid uh and then the one that hits me the hardest this probably the second time i ever cried in sports was the music city miracle I, and i sat out on my porch and i just didn't understand i didn't understand what happened and i was just in tears and i'll remember that day for the rest of my life uh i just i still think it's one of the most unfair things that's ever happened to me in my life and i'll never get over it that's tough, dude. That, that, that's a tough. <laughs> the other, maybe a the tough last memory. other thing. 
is, I, is just a funny one. The only time in my life that I, t- I talked my dad into ordering pay-per-view and I saw the Tyson bite Holy Fields here and that he was, he'll never pay for pay-per-view again in his life. But, uh, that stood out as a completely wild, unbelievable memory of like, where were you when type of a thing. You know, one memory I should have said that I didn't because technically, I don't know if it's sports. Some people will say it's just entertainment, but I was, I think I was like 12 years old when Hulk Hogan defeated Down Your Cheek to win the WWF title. That's a big one. It was because I was a huge Bob Beckland fan. He was champ for like over four years. Iron Cheek defeated him, made him submit. That was tough to take. I remember I was, again, I was, I don't know, 10, 11 years old. I was, I don't want to say I was crying, but I was close to it. So Hulk Hogan came back and avenged him. That was awesome. If you're a Bob Backlund fan, a little off topic here. My cousin was a uh, top wrestler in the state of Connecticut growing up, and his coach was Bob Backlund all through high school, and I met him a couple times. Just as wacky of a guy as he was on in WWE. <laughs> you know what's funny? When I woke up Sunday morning, I never in a million years thought that games of Game of Thrones wouldn't be the biggest thing that I'd be talking about on Sunday because I personally, me, have never in my life been more excited about a season premiere of a TV show ever. Now, I'm not going to go as far to say that Game of Thrones is my favorite TV show ever quite yet, because that's still the office for me, but it's close. And if this is a good final season, it could be there at number one. But regardless, I spent literally all week waiting for Sunday night. It felt like torture to me. By the time it got to be Friday, I just wanted the weekend to be over. I didn't care about going out and having fun Friday or Saturday night. I just wanted it to be Sunday night so Game of Thrones would come on. Is there any show or shows that you can remember being crazy excited about or returning to TV like after some kind of absence, like the season premiere of your favorite show that you would almost have, I don't like maybe even a, a sleepless night waiting for it? Honestly, I'm right there with you with Game of Thrones, uh, for one. But I, I think the only thing that made me this excited and I wasn't even really close to it was season two of Westworld, which was very recent, um, but also had a little bit of a long hiatus in between because net or because HBO didn't decide to pick it up until halfway through the first season. So they were behind on making the second season. And I, I for the first season, it was one of my favorite seasons of a show ever it's not my one of my favorite shows ever but that first season was so the build-up for that second one i was i was incredibly excited and didn't know what direction they were going in uh and the season ended up being somewhat of a letdown and i'm hoping that game of thrones doesn't go that way i'm a little nervous after this first episode i didn't love uh the product that i saw this this last week but that might be a case of my overhyped of myself of the, all the week leading up to it watching all the theories sure. getting all worked up and then it doesn't meet your expectations i think it was kind of like uh floyd mayweather against manny yeah it was, just, that, it was never gonna live up to the expectation i don't think it was yeah. possible I, i've heard that from a lot of fans i feel that to maybe a lesser degree because i i sort of get it I, i'll tell you though i've had debates with joe on this podcast as well as my wife about binge watching a tv show all at once something that's on netflix versus a weekly show like, say, Game of Thrones on HBO. And I sort of was leaning during past conversations towards weekly being my preference so that I would have something to look forward to all week. But after the premiere, dude, I'm telling you, there was no doubt about it. If Game of Thrones was on Netflix instead of HBO, I wouldn't be talking to you about the, the premiere. We'd be talking about the entire season because I absolutely would have been willing to spend eight, nine, ten hours, whatever it took, binge watching that show 
all at once. Where do you fall on that whole weekly show versus binge watching at one Spence? What side do you land on? Gosh, dude, it, that's a tough question. because There's certain shows that are so crushable and you just keep going through them and you watch it in a weekend and you, you really sit back and consume it. I don't know that I can do that. So I've been watching Game of Thrones all along this way. I never was behind. And so I don't know that how like people that had to play catch up and crush it have gone. I I think at least then you need a couple days to consume the episodes uh, and to really like think about all the, the things that happen, the storylines, there's so many storylines and they're so intricate and they interconnect and there's like tangled webs that I don't know if I would be able to just watch that episode after episode and really be able to follow and understand where things have gotten to in the next episode and so on and so forth. So I don't know that you game of Thrones is like that binge worthy, title of a show but like something like house of cards the first season of house of cards i watched that in three days or something yeah and it, it wasn't as intricate though of a storyline so i think i think it's you know like all things it depends on the type of show but i do love a good weekend of just watching tv man and binging through something but i'm with you a little bit on this one where i really look it it's a nice way to cap off my week on sundays knowing game that next episode's coming out and i get excited for it and the build up to the episode that there's something fun a lot of fun about that yeah no See, I, I'm the opposite here. I have not watched it from its entirety like you have. In fact, this is season eight. I binge watched season one through six. Never had seen it before in, in advance of season seven. So, okay, yep. And, you, and you're right, by the way. Really good points because now, like for an example, last night, before we, you know, we'll talk a little bit about it, but not too much specifically about the show last night. But anyway... I spent a lot of time after last night's episode reading about it. I read plenty of reviews online. I watched at least three or four YouTube videos that break down the episode, talk about hidden details, you know, an- analysts and stuff like that talking about it. So I completely agree with you. It is not the kind of show that I think you should binge watch from start to finish because there is a lot to digest. And there's a lot of layers. Now, it's different than, say, a show like The Office. You know, there's not a lot to think about. I laugh. And I go on yep. to the next one. And I love The Office. Again, it's my favorite show ever. But Game of Thrones really isn't a, a binge type of show for the reasons that you said. But I did do it because I didn't watch it. It's not my kind of show usually. I'm not that kind of guy. I don't like that type of television. It's just really weird to me how I can be so fascinated by this show because it's just it's not my cup of tea, generally speaking. I think maybe some of it might be because so many people... Fans and media talk about it all the time. I said, well, shit, man, if this many people like it, there's got to be something to it. Which, by right. the way, do you think that's the case right now? Because I see so many people talking about this show. I'll, I'll bet you probably more people have binged this series who never watched it before this season from start to finish, one to seven, in advance of this, maybe than any other show ever. Because it yeah. seemed like... You're on Twitter, man. It seemed like 95% of the world was anticipating this and knew what was going on and was talking about Game of Thrones on Sunday night. Yeah, I saw, I forget, I won't know the number off the top of my head, but they said it was one of the biggest premieres of a show of all time, if not the biggest premiere of a show of all time. I do think that over the seasons as they've come out and it's become more of a part of our pop culture that more and more people are trying to 
catch up and say, what is this, all this fuss about? There's still that group of people that are, they'll be, they're like vegans. They're going to be the first to tell you they've never watched a game of Thrones, uh, an episode of it because they think that that is something that's cool. Um, but I'm with you a little bit too, that it was never some, a type of show that I'd be into. I'm not like a into medieval and dragons and and mystics and and stuff like that. Yeah. That's not my thing. Harry Potter movies. And there's some of that geeky stuff that I'm into too, but yeah, I, I wouldn't go seeking a show out like this, but I think what gets people once they start watching it, because even if something's really popular and you start watching it, if it sucks, you're not going to sit through eight seasons of it just to catch up with everybody else. It's got to be good. And I think it's just really good storytelling at the end of the day. It's just the, a, a story that's built up really well. It keeps you on the, on the edge of your seat. They hang into the next episode. They just have done a good job for going into eight seasons of telling a story. And it doesn't matter what the setting is. If it's a cool story, you're going to get hooked. The season premiere was 54 minutes on Sunday night. Did that seem to go too quick for you? Even though it wasn't exactly an action packed episode, at least not compared to the Game of Thrones standard anyway. But even still, did it seem to you like 54 minutes went by really quick on Sunday? Maybe it did to me, but maybe that's just me. No, I felt honestly like it seemed like the show was kind of starting to wrap up. You can kind of tell when it and I looked down at my watch and I was like, dang, like if it that didn't feel like it's should be over yet, but maybe it's cause nothing happened. Usually these premieres of game of Thrones come out with a bang, uh, and something. And this one just kind of, you know, without giving any spoilers, uh, if people haven't watched it, it just didn't, it was really more like, Oh, I'm giving spoilers. (laughs) Okay. All right. That's coming. So if you're listening right right now and you're worried about spoilers, you might want to fast forward past the end (laughs) of uh, the movie review of pet cemetery coming up. But yeah, the, uh, it felt like the first day of school, right? When everybody's back from summer break and everybody's reintroducing each other. It was just an episode like that. So, it, but it went fast for not really, we didn't learn really anything new and it went pretty fast considering we didn't get any, anything great out of it. I'm looking right now there because there's five more episodes left. Next week is 58 minutes. But then after that, you got an hour 22, an hour 18, an hour 20, and then an hour 20. So yeah, lots of time, lots of time coming up. And again, an action packed episode, an hour of Game of Thrones could feel like a three hour movie of something else. Sometimes I do want to talk. You know what? There's no way to talk about this and not have spoilers again. I have warned you. So if you are listening and don't want to know spoilers, by the way, dude, if you're a Game of Thrones fan and you waited, what, almost 19 months or whatever it is now to watch this, if it's Tuesday you got no excuse or not. If you waited this long, you're, you're listening by Tuesday. So I don't feel if this was out Monday morning and people didn't get a chance to watch it, went to bed early on Sunday and got up and they're listening to this on their Monday morning drive to work. I'd feel a little less inclined to talk about this, the episode. Fuck that though. It's Tuesday. No man. You know what, how I feel about this stuff. I say this all the time with spoilers. If you are the person that doesn't watch it when the rest of the world watches it, when it's on live, then it's up to you. It's not up to me, uh, to make sure that I don't spoil it for you. It's up to you to stay off the internet. You know, better than to get on Facebook and Twitter and any of these places where there's going to be memes or potential spoilers. It's not up to me of what content I retweet. It's up to you and your responsibility to stay offline until you watch it. Yeah. I agree with you hundred <laughs> percent. I was taking some notes and it was like, you know, instead of game of Thrones, it kind of felt like it could have been called game of reunions on Sunday because you had John and Aria reuniting John and Bran, Sansa and Tyrion, Ara and the Hound and Gentry as well. Theon and Yara. And of course, Jamie and Bran at the very end, which was this expression said it all. 
Which of those reunions were you most excited to see? Which one, when you saw it happen, you were like, oh, shit. Oh, for sure. The Jamie and Bran. Yeah. It just brought it full circle. That entire thing. And they haven't seen each other since seven years ago. Um, And when you look back at that scene, they both look, I mean, one's a child and the other one is so young. It just, uh, it really came full circle. I saw a great meme earlier too, of that scene to the curb your enthusiasm. Uh, oh, when the music goes out. At oh the my end. God. That <laughs> was yeah, perfect. Um, but no, that, I think that was just a really, and how he had said a little bit before that, which I didn't catch until after the, when he said, I'm sitting around waiting for an old friend and then Jamie's there. So it, it just showed brand's power his you know his new abilities along with that pat backstory is still there and brands somebody that's become very dehumanized over the last season with this whole three raven thing but for him to sit there and stare at jamie kind of brought back that hey there's still a human here and and that has a backstory what about the episode you didn't you like if there if there's anything and maybe it's not so much that you didn't dislike a lot it's more that like we talked about it's just the expectations were just so sky high that I think you might have been naturally set up for at least a, a semi letdown. Is there any, what about it didn't do it for you? So two things, actually, and I didn't love it. Uh, one, it seemed like they tried to use a lot of humor in the episode. They like try to put in some like jokes for at a, a couple points, which they have done in the past right. in the show. And it works. And some of them are all right. You chuckle. But I felt like they they reach for that a couple too many times. And to me, that feels a little bit in a show like this, like lazy writing, um, which is weird because you don't see a lot of that in Game of Thrones. And then the the worst part of the show, in my mind, it was two parts about this was when they walked up to the dragons, the green screen effects of them and the dragons was some of the worst I've seen. Oh, in this yeah. Show. Awful. Oh, my God, it was awful, dude. Yeah. It looked like something from Sci-Fi Network. Yeah. And, and that so that was a little bit horrible for me. And then that whole scene where they raced off to the waterfalls and they're kissing and the dragons looking at them. That whole scene, they could have cut out that that whole part and I wouldn't have missed it at all. I thought that was weird. I think you're 100% right. That green screen was terrible. That dude, looked amateur for such a great show. I agree 100%. That was not good at all. I would argue this, though, because I've heard a lot of complaints. Most of them minor about a lack of action, considering the wait for the premiere. But I, again, I would argue there were lots of moving parts going on, notwithstanding yeah. what you said, which I totally agree with you. But John did ride the dragon. That in itself is significant. He found out he's Targaryen and the rightful heir to the throne. You got Theon freeing his sister, and he's going to go to Winterfell instead of staying with her to try to start his process of redemption. What else I got written down here in my notes? Bronn was ordered by Cersei to kill Tyrion and Jaime oh, I hope with not. the same weapon that Tyrion killed her father with. That's an interesting dilemma, I think, going forward for that for Bronn. You know, he likes both those guys. So that's gonna be fun yeah. to track. And you know, that's not he's even one count- of my favorite characters. Yeah, too. yeah, me Bronn. too, for sure. And that's not even counting the battle looming against the Night King's army. And you know, whoever wins that a conflict that ultimately will probably end up at King's Landing. With, with Cersei and the, and the Lannister army. So there's still, it was more about setting things up. But we talked about the reunion stuff a little bit and there, there were moving parts. It just, it lacked action. So if somebody's going to complain, I, I get it. But at the same token, I'm pretty confident when I say that a lot of action's going to be coming. I think it's episode oh, three, man. by the way. The Battle of Winterfell, I, I, it's going to be like a straight hour of just an insane battle. People it are going to die. It may take episodes. <sighs> 
Game of Thrones, what people forget, there's a little bit of recency bias. Go back and, and look at some of the scenes you binge watched. There's stretches of three to four episodes of just storytelling and political uh, back and forth before action really comes. Even last season, the build up to that battle that John had uh the classic gif is that's like two to three episodes of build up of everybody traveling just to get to the spot before real action comes but then once the action comes everybody forgets about the two to three longer episodes it took to get there so i think they're getting it out of the way now and building up the storytelling because there's going to probably be three to four episodes of just sheer chaos and dragons and ice dragons and death and blood and all that stuff's going to be coming it has to it's all coming to a head i think Another thing too is is people probably expect one of the main characters to die in the, in the opening, and that didn't happen. The kid died. I for, I forgot his name is off the top of my head, and I can't think of it off the top of my head. He died, but no one significant died. And I think a lot right. of people. Last point about Game of Thrones, and then we're going to move on. It's it's the biggest reason why I love this show so much because I don't have any real vested interest in the good guys versus the bad guys. I don't really care who ends up on the Iron Throne at the end. And I don't care who survives and who doesn't. I just want to be wowed by what happens when I'm watching. I want to gasp. I want to be like, oh my God, you know what I mean? I want those moments. I'm not going to lose my shit if Jon Snow dies or if Daenerys dies or Jamie or Tyrion or anybody. I just want really good action and I want things to go down. I want things to happen. I don't have a vested interest, so to speak, in any one specific character or any one house. You know what I mean? Sure. Yeah, no, I do have some of my own theories that I've come up with over time and things that I would like to see happen. What Mostly what I don't want to see happen is the traditional fairy tale story of Jon Snow sits on the throne and kills the Night King and it just be a very traditional fairy tale type story because Game of Thrones hasn't been that way up until this point. Right. It's a very unjust story. The people that probably deserve to die the most live the longest. Uh, so I would like to see some kind of twist to that john's the guy and he's the one narrative i want to see something maybe a little different i don't care who it is that wins i just don't want it to be john <laughs> i hear you man i i don't care i just don't i i know what you're saying you don't want the fairy tale and i'm fine with that too i just i want to see something i want action i really yeah. don't care who who dies it, I, I guess if you put a gun to my head I'm a heel. Like I always like the heels in wrestling. So I want yeah. Cersei Lannister to win at the there end of the go. day. She's probably, I don't think she's going to, I don't predict that, but it doesn't matter to me. I don't, she's a hell of a heel. She's a great, Oh my God. She's such a great heel. She was so <laughs> fucking evil on Sunday. Holy shit. That <laughs> was awesome. Horrible. Yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about one Buffalo Bills thing real quick here. Okay. And after that, I'm going to have Sean Chandler give a movie review of pet cemetery. And then we're going to come back with our third installment of our bills. mock draft real quick. Voluntary workout started on Monday. I personally don't care whatsoever. However, we did see tweets of, of the facilities. Dude, they look nice, man. Yeah, they're beautiful. Um, I think Bills fans should be excited. There's a lot of the improvements they've made over the years don't do anything for me because it doesn't get them up to the NFL standard where I see around the league. This one does. And when they first announced it, I was like, oh, cool, new, a new weight room, whatever. Sounds way more expensive than it needs to be. Uh, but then you hear everybody talking about it. You saw the pictures, and I think it's exciting. It's free agents have been talking about it. I, I guess what I don't know, and I'd like your opinion on maybe, is 
is this a sign of them staying put in Orchard Park or is this going to be their headquarters if they move the stadium downtown? Are they going to keep a training facility headquarters out there? It seems like it's a pretty substantial investment in the future of that location. I agree. That's a great point. I'll tell you this much. People I've had on this show, like Adam Benini, for an example, we had a pretty good conversation about this. A few sports media people off air too. I still feel like the general sentiment is at the end of the day, the I the Bagulas, I don't think they're I think it's legitimate right now that they are not decided on what they're gonna do yet. This survey's out. I think they're gonna put a lot of stock into the results of that. People say that they're locked into downtown. I don't believe that to be true at all. I personally, if it was me, I would stay in Orchard Park. I tend to think at the end of the day they're gonna go downtown. But it could still go either way. I don't think it's set in stone whatsoever that it's downtown. And you do bring up a good point. These are sizable investments to, to put in a, something that might not be around in five years if, if they end up having a downtown stadium. It's a good point. Well, the one thing is, though, a lot of these cities, uh, Minneapolis is a great example. There's a bunch of examples where the facility itself is downtown. Yeah. And the training facility is out in the suburbs somewhere. Yeah, that's uh, true. So there are a number of those, too. So this might be that type of investment. But it, it definitely tells signals to me that there's going to be some future home of the Bills at Orchard Park. It, they wouldn't. I know they have a lot of money, but that's still a lot of money to them to just waste. That's a good point. What about the bills in terms of this, okay? And then we're going to take a break. Right now, all these addition, additions that they've made to this roster, we like them. We've talked about them. The team's definitely better. Josh Allen's going into his second year. We expect improvement out of him. Ditto for Jermaine Edmonds, who's probably having the quietest offseason ever because no one talks about him. It's all about draft prospects and, and Josh Allen. Meanwhile, Jermaine Edmonds just flying under the radar. First round pick going into his second year. As a just turned 20 years old. Exactly. Crazy. Exactly. Still young as can be. A lot of talent. You have all these new additions to go with them. And I look at the Vegas odds right now. The Bills went six and 10 last year. The over under right now for Bills wins is only six and a half. Why do you think that Vegas has given them such little respect or do you agree with that right now? Because if it was me, I'm going to tell you this right now. If I was, I'm going to bet the over. If it's six and a half, I'm betting the over. I would set it at eight. I think eight or even eight and a half would be a good Bills over under. I think six and a half is too low based on who they've added and the fact, again, their quarterback of their offense and their defense has a year of experience now. What are your thoughts on that real quick? Well, yeah, I mean, Sean McDermott talked about it. They definitely added some things, but until those things gel, you don't know what they added, right? Um, I'm somewhere in between you and Vegas. I think if I had a uh, you know gun to my head and I had to make a decision, I'd say seven and a half wins uh, with this team right now until I see what they are. But I, I think it should be more than they had last year. I think just the additions alone are, are probably two games. I think just getting rid of Danny Crossman and getting some good special teams players is a game, game and a half uh, just by itself. They probably lost uh, on special teams alone. So I'm not going to be one of these guys that this time of year says that this is a you know a 10 win team and guaranteed playoffs. But I think they're right there with the Jets and the Jets are getting a lot more publicity and and things about how they've improved and I'm not sure that that's true. I think that the, both teams are probably in similar positions going into their offseason programs. Uh so I'm there with you man. I, I could see seven and a half, eight win uh team. So if I had more money and my wife didn't care about me losing money gambling, I'd take the over on that. Yeah, they're a half a win better than last year in Vegas. I just, I just don't agree with it at all. Anyway, yeah. all right. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to take a break with this segment. 
Going to have a movie review courtesy of friend of the podcast, Sean Chandler from the Sean Chandler Talks About YouTube channel. He has a review of the new remake of Pet Cemetery. Did you see the original back in 89? Yeah, it's, I'm still terrified to this day, and I saw the highlights, and I'm t- terrified. I don't want to see it. <laughs> well, this is a remake 30 years later. I got the audio version of Sean's review for you, and I'll tell you what. Next time you're surfing YouTube on your laptop, iPad, iPhone, blah, 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 whatever it is, be sure to go on, check Sean Chandler Talks About Channel, hit that subscribe button. Dude's closing in on 100K subscribers. For good reason, he does a really good job reviewing movies, ranking characters, series, all kinds of fun stuff for movies and TV. That's a no-brainer subscribe right there. Again, Sean Chandler talks about on YouTube. Here's Sean's review of the new Pet Cemetery, And I'll be back with Aaron right after, and we'll do our third Buffalo Bills four-round mock draft in real time. The latest adaptation of the Stephen King novel Pet Cemetery has hit theaters, so let's talk about it. Pet Cemetery is the second film adaptation of the Stephen King novel about a family who moves into a new house next to a mysterious pet cemetery. As a point of reference, I just watched the original Pet Cemetery for the first time this past weekend. So while I did watch the new one with the knowledge of the story, I didn't go in with years of nostalgia. And one of the best things about this film is that they cast a great set of actors in this film. Whether you're talking about Jason Clark, who I've been a pretty big fan of ever since I saw him in Zero Dark Thirty, or the legend John Lithgow as Judd, or even the daughter in the movie, they all do a great job. They're very solid actors. Along those same lines, this is a very slick production. You can tell they spent some money on it to try and get it right. And when you combine Stephen King ideas with modern production values, you can get a very creepy and unsettling atmosphere. As this is a horror film, this movie does some bold things that you don't see in a lot of movies. In case you haven't read the book or seen the original film, I won't tell you where this film goes, but there's just certain things that movies tend to think are off limits, and this movie just goes directly to those things as it's bread and butter, and that's from beginning to end. It does stuff that's horrifying, that's unsettling, and that makes you feel very uneasy all the way up to the final moments of the film. I also really appreciated that the film both stuck to the original story and themes, but also changed some of the specifics and the execution. It's true to the core elements of the Pet Cemetery story while changing things up so it has some things that are distinct about it not wanting to go into any specific details, I think I actually appreciated what they did in the third act. I don't know which one I would say is better, but I appreciate that both versions of this third act exist, and they were able to do some new things and do some horrifying elements in new ways because of the changes that they made. And I think it had some new depths and ideas to be explored with where they went with it. With that said, let's move on to the mixed aspects of the film. The first thing that comes to mind is the pacing. I appreciated that it moved at a pretty quick pace and it doesn't linger anywhere too long. It doesn't overstay its welcome. But there were a few plot points that felt rushed in the second half of the film. It seemed like we needed to slow down for a couple of them for a 
little bit longer to let the emotions sink in before we moved on to the next plot point. Whereas here, it just kind of felt like we were just trying to get to those beats as quick as possible. And I think maybe we could have slowed down just a little bit in that second half. Also, the second trailer for this film was egregious in how much of the movie it showed. If you're a new viewer that wasn't familiar with the story or the previous films, it showed you basically every plot beat up until about the last 10 minutes of the film. And if you were an old viewer that had seen the previous version, it spoiled the big twists and turns in the trailer itself. So I don't know what they were thinking in the marketing and giving away so many plot points, but I would uh, certainly caution you to avoid the trailers for this film if you haven't seen them yet. From there, let's move on to the bad. This film might be an example of how more professional might not always be better because in the case here, in making it more slick and modern production, it also makes it a little bit more generic. Watching the original for the first time this past weekend, all of the dated elements about the production and the special effects really stood out for me. And this new version fixes all of that with its slickness. But in kind of waxing off and sanding off all of the embarrassing aspects of the original film, it also takes away some of the quirky charm and the weirdness of that film that was part of what made it work and made it so creepy. Like all of the actors in this film on a technical level are better actors than those that were in the 1989 film. But better doesn't mean they're more effective inside of this story. Especially like with John Lithgow, he is world-class talent. But his version of the Judd character isn't nearly as interesting as the one in the original film. So this is an example of where better isn't always better. Also, the movie relies way too much on jump scares, really dramatic, loud noises out of nowhere to just shock the audience. And there's a couple of times it's earned at the beginning of the film as the road in front of the house is an important plot point in the film, in which case those jump scares felt earned. But then there's a whole bunch of other times in the film where they just have people walking through quiet corridors and then just cut to some new image and play a loud noise to shock you. And that's not really scaring the audience. That's called startling the audience. That's a natural human reaction to sudden change changes is to become startled and that doesn't take a lot of craft to suddenly cut to something and play a loud noise to elicit a reaction from a person. And so that was frustrating that it didn't rely more on actually building a scary atmosphere and tension rather than just playing for startles. Overall, this is a well-made adaptation of the source material, but it may be so professional that it becomes a little bit generic. I'm gonna give it a B overall, seven out of 10 on entertainment, and I'll say it's worth checking out. Come back Sunday for that Pet Cemetery ranking, and thank you so much for watching. All right, so I'm back with Aaron. We're gonna do our third Buffalo Bills mock draft done in real time. We're gonna use the draftnetwork.com like we've done for the first two. Real quick, though, before we get started, I'm going through the big board right now that they have. This is the draftnetwork.com big board, all right? There's 10 names on it. A couple of these names, let's just say for, to have a little bit of a fun discussion here, let's just say the Buffalo Bills had their pick of any of these 10 guys right now. I'm going to name these guys off to you because these are no-brainers. Nick Bosa, Quinny Williams, Josh Allen, and Ed Oliver. If those guys are on the board at nine, they're not, they're top 10 worthy guys. I don't think the Bills would think twice about taking any of them. Let's run real quick though, okay? 
through the other guys, if you had an opportunity to take this guy at nine, and maybe we will in just a minute when we run our mock simulator, but right now I'm going to run through a couple names for you. Give me a yes or a no if you're the Buffalo Bills, if you would take them if they're available at nine. They got Juwan Taylor, who's on their board at three. Uh, yes. Brian Burns is ranked fourth edge rusher from Florida State. No. DK Metcalf, who we've talked about plenty on this podcast, wide receiver from Mississippi. He's fifth. No. Noah Font, tight end, Iowa. He is ranked seventh. No. Good call. Good call. I agree with you. I like him a lot, but at nine. I do too. Yeesh. All right, it's number eight, me, number yeah. eight. This this might come up. T.J. Hawkinson, tight end from Iowa. He's eighth on their board. No. And last, Devin White, linebacker from LSU. Nope. Agreed only because of the position. He's a top ten yeah, talent. I'd like, yeah, yeah, for but sure. With Milano and Edmonds there, I just don't see. They're not going to have three linebackers on the field often enough to have a top ten pick at linebacker. No. So for that reason, I completely agree with you. Which of those do you think would be the hardest call to say no to, though? Probably Hawkinson or maybe Taylor? Yeah, maybe. Maybe Hawkinson. Um, the only reason I said yes to Taylor is because it's a position of need still. Um, but yeah, I, I think Hawkinson, especially with Brandon Bean's comments today about uh, what they look for in tight end of being not just a pass catcher, but an inline run blocker and a pass protecting run blocker. And that really talks to the kind of the overall prospect that Hawkinson is that fan isn't. Not that fan's a bad blocker, but I think pretty much everybody agrees Hawkins is more well-rounded at this point. Sure. All right, let's get to the mock draft. Yeah. Here we go, buddy. We're going to start a mock draft. Same thing as always. As it loads up here, we're going to draft for the bills only. You got to click next. And again, I say this every week. If you are listening at home and you're in front of a computer, you want to do the same thing. Just go to draftnetwork.com, start a mock draft. We're going to hit TN, TDN's predictive board. We're going to do four rounds. That's all we do. You know what? Let's do seven next week, just for the fuck of it. Hey, why not? Yeah, <laughs> It's the last one. We're going to go out in a, in a big blaze of glory. All right. Starting the draft, the eight are going in front of us. I'm going to read those off to you. To recap our first two, this is version three. The first time we did this, Quinny Williams fell to us at nine. That's not happening. I'll tell you what, before I even look, if that happens again, we're going to pretend that it didn't happen because I just think okay. that's so unrealistic. We'd be wasting our time. And then last week we took Ed Oliver, a very... Very strong possibility that that happens. But you know what? Let's mix this up here, okay? I'm, I haven't looked yet. Let's pretend, and we're going to make this a little bit harder on us because I think it's too easy to pick nine if he's there. Let's pretend, even if he is there, that he's not. Okay. And then we'll have to make some decisions then, okay? That'll right, make, sounds that'll good make, to me, man. Because otherwise it'll be the same deal as last week. So here we go. Number one. Oh, this is the first time. They finally got Kyle Murray going number one instead of number six. He's went to the Giants the first two weeks. We've done this at six. Kyle Murray's going one to Arizona. Bosa two to Frisco. Quinton Williams three to the Jets. Josh Allen four to the Raiders. I completely, I think that all four of these first four picks are to me are no brainers, by the way. Um, Rashawn Gary going fifth to Tampa. Wow. Jawan Taylor six to the New York Giants. Seven, whoa, this don't make any sense, but whatever, because I'll, I'll explain why in a minute. Dwayne Haskins, they got going to Jacksonville. That's not mm. happening. Yeah. <laughs> That's not happening. Maybe somebody moves up to Jacksonville and comes and gets them, but they ain't drafting them. Ooh, TJ Hawkinson goes number eight to the Detroit Lions. All right, so the Bills are on the clock here, and Ed Oliver is there. But, again, 
Let's pretend he's gone. Not in our world. He's not. Not in our world. In our world, he's gone. Let's pretend Dwayne Haskins. Yeah, he went to, in, he Jackson, went to uh, Jacksonville. Yeah, instead. Jacksonville <laughs> took that Oliver. So we're going to modify this yeah. a little bit. He went there to Jacksonville at seven. We're not taking Dwayne Haskins, obviously. So now the Bills are on the clock at nine. Oliver's gone. Williams is gone. Those have been the, the picks the first two times. The best players on the board are Devin White, who we talked about. We're not going to take him. DK Metcalf is there. We're not going to take him. Montez Sweat is a guy that very well might be the pick. He's there at 11. He's 11th on their board. Um, Ryan Burns is there, who we said we probably wouldn't take. Jonah Williams, offensive tackle from Alabama. Or Christian Wilkins, uh, the defensive tackle from Clemson. Those are the big names on the board. So that's where your decision. And Andre Dillard. Oh, I can't and forget Dillard's about there, him. Yeah. Dillard's a big one consideration as well. Offensive tackle from Washington State. So those are your guys. What are your thoughts if things yeah. play out like this? Which could happen. Uh, it could. And this is a scenario that I've come up in, uh, on the Cover One Buffalo podcast. We've come up with this a, f- a few times where those guys that you mentioned are off the board. And we're looking at this. And we also don't agree that DK Metcalf's one of those guys. He's not on our big board that high. Uh, so I have been really having a hard time. Greg and I debate a lot between Montez Sweat and Jonah Williams, and we like both prospects. But I think if if this is the way the board's fallen for me, I'm having a really hard conversation uh, with my offensive coordinator and defensive coordinator about which guy is going to make more of an impact immediately. And they're both positions in need. They're both positions that are very interesting. You do have Deion Dawkins at left tackle, but I think that there's a good case to be made that, one, Jonah Williams is probably a better prospect there, and two, I don't really know if Deion Dawkins is an NFL caliber left tackle long-term or not, and that maybe drafting Jonah gives you some flexibility to either move him inside or as a possible trade trip in, in some other deal. I don't know. So I like the idea of a Jonah Williams, but Montez Sweat, man, as far as athletic ability, size, speed, and production. He checks all the boxes. Um, Yes, I probably am leaning towards Montez Sweat with this scenario as well. I, I still think the Bills big time are looking for a defensive end, whether it's a veteran or a rookie early on. They've kind of shown their hand a little bit at the beginning sure. of free agency. And this is a good pass rusher, arguably the second best. I mean, Josh Allen would definitely be the best and Bosa too. So, but he's up there. He's in that top tier. And I'll tell you what, if the Bills go off, it's a tackle. Andre Dillard is going to be in that conversation at nine. I, oh, absolutely. I'd almost yeah. be willing to bet that. Oh, I mean, their, their offensive line coach worked him out. So that, that is telling uh, that he went out and did the workout for Andre Dillard. And so they definitely met with him. They, they definitely like that prospect. So yeah, if they're, if they're talking about Jonah, they're talking about Dillard. This is tough. And again, we're doing this in real time. We have not pre-prepared any notes. We didn't know how this was going to play out. So let's say for the sake of it, because I do think they haven't been able to address the line and, and you did lose Kyle. And after this year, you have nobody that is on contract long-term at the defensive end position for this team. You're going to be losing. They're not going to do the fifth year option with Shaq. Uh, you don't know what you have in Trent Murphy and Jerry ain't getting any younger. Yeah. Uh, so I do think they want to address this position. I'm still praying. I mean, I'm not even a religious man and I pray every night that there's going to be a Jadavion Clowney or Frank Clark trade uh, to the Buffalo Bills, but it's probably not going to happen as much as, as much fun as it would be. Uh, so they're going to have to address this somewhere in this draft. And I think if you have the ability to take a guy that, that checks all the boxes for you, um, you do it. I agree. 
So we're saying Montez Sweat at nine. I, I think if the situation came about with the Bills and they played out this way, where Sweat or either um, Dillard or Jonah Williams were the top three picks there, I think they would go Sweat as well. By the way, here's one quick wide receiver hot take. I don't think DK Metcalf's going in the first 20 picks. Really? Yeah. I just don't. I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, I think once you get past like 12, 13, I think it's a, a fine area to start taking him. But yeah, I, I could see him being the first receiver off the board and around the 20s and then a little run there between that yeah, and, I think and the first I li- round. I like some of the other wide receivers and I feel like tackles, defensive linemen are going to go in those teens before Metcalf. I don't know. It's just a gut feeling right now. I feel like he's going to be... One of those guys who goes later than most people think. He's certainly not going top five. I can tell you that right now. Yeah, I know. I agree. And that whole top thing is going to be real interesting because like you said, uh, I've seen a lot of mocks where uh, the Giants are going Kyler Murray, which I, I don't think he's going past Arizona. But if he does, if the Giants, you're also hearing a lot of connection between the Giants and this Russell Wilson uh, thing. And as far as this podcast being recorded i don't think wilson has signed his deal with seattle yet uh so that a that could, night, right yeah so that could get really interesting here uh you know going forward with any of those top teams if anybody makes a trade for him so we're in the second round now we're on the clock we're picking at number 40 and dalton risner just went two picks ahead of um buffalo that's a guy if he was there at 40 i think the bills would take strong consideration to we're kind of, let's see, uh, Irv Smith's been our guy. He's always at 50. He is there. So Irv Smith Jr. is on the clock. We took him last week. Another guy, Chris Lindstrom, who you took in our first time we did the mock draft with the second round pick. He's also there. We took a defensive end. So we would be looking at an interior defensive lineman, which brings about the conversation I want to have, have here with this second pick. Jeffrey Simmons is a guy who I think we both agree with. If he was healthy, would probably, not probably, he is a first-round talent, but he's essentially a red shirt this year. Plus, he got into some trouble. Granted, it was a couple of years ago, but that is a red flag. So he has had past issues with character. I hate using that word, but it's true. And he essentially would be, because of the ACL, a red shirt for now. That's the 40th pick. That's a high pick. But at the same token, Jeffrey Simmons could be a top 15 talent. If you're Buffalo and he's on the clock at 40, are you giving him some thought here? Yeah, absolutely. And I would have no hesitancy to redshirt him for a year. If you end up somehow getting stuck with more picks than you'd like in this draft, redshirting a guy gives you the ability to sort of take one without taking it on the roster this year, right? Mm -hmm. You can just give him an IR year. So I think that's a smart play. Like you said, it's very, it is a valuable pick at 40, but it's very rare that you get the ability to get it. I think he's a top 10 talent in this draft. If, if he didn't have any of the off the field issues prior and then the injury so late, um, I think he's definitely a top 10 pick in this draft. And I think he's up there with the Ed Olivers who we like at nine. And if you could get that guy at 40, you do it. Uh, I don't think the off the field issue is as bad as maybe people think it is. It looked really bad. Obviously there's a video. I think the backstory behind it, uh, kind of eases it a little bit more. And then the fact that he's gone, 
uh, to Mississippi State here for three years and been basically the exact squeaky person clean. that they yeah. squeaky clean, the teammate that they wanted him to be. He's checked all the boxes, and I think that that's good enough for Sean McDermott. They've talked about it. They don't want choir boys. Uh, they just want guys that are good football players. And if if people have had things in the past and they've shown they can put it behind them, I think that that's good enough for them. And there's some connections for Sean McDermott at Mississippi State, so uh, he knows some of the coaches there. So if he's talked to him and, and feels confident, I don't think they hesitate at all uh to to get Simmons and I love that idea of redshirting him for a year so you got Simmons you got Lindstrom you got Irv Smith Jr end of the day you're on the trigger man what do you got what do you want to go you know what let's get crazy and let's go back to back Mississippi State uh guys let's put Simmons out uh and redshirt him for a year I'll tell you this we're doing it I like it this if this happens get ready for some hot takes on social media Holy shit, dude. That is going to be a player where if the Bills take him, not so much because of any past character stuff. I don't buy into that bullshit at this point. But the knee. Basically being a red shirt year, second round pick. I think you're going to get a pretty mixed reaction. A very strong reaction. Some people, like me and you, would love that pick. Some people are going to hate it because you're going to be drafting oh, yeah. a guy in the second round who's going to do nothing for the Bills in 2019. What's but the guy know, from Dallas? Who's the kid, the, the linebacker from Dallas who didn't play his first year? And now he's was great. Jalen Smith? Smith. Yeah. yeah. That's the same. Yeah. And I wanted to do that with Miles Jacks. Uh, they were talking about him needing a whole year and, and he's been a great player. I right. think, uh, you know, there's some players that this happens to and they're totally worth it. I actually don't think Simmons drops to the second round. I think somebody takes a waiver on him in the first round, especially some of those teams that are already good. Um, if you have the ability to get somebody with that much talent this late, you do it and and you make that investment into your team. And I don't care if it takes a year off to get them. And look at Jadavian Clowney. His first two years, he was super injury prone and the fans got frustrated, but the team didn't. And ever since then, he's had to project really productive three-year stretch the teams don't think the way the fans do they're not going to care if this guy's got to be in the performance center for a year rehabbing if he's going to have a great five six year run with the team so we're in the third round now the bills will be on the clock here pick 74 we've addressed the defensive line not once but twice in the first two rounds granted one of them won't be playing in 2019 but still so you can make a case that the bills might want an offensive tackle in round three if they do Top guys on the board include David Edwards, a tackle from Wisconsin. You got Dennis Daly from South Carolina and Titus Howard from Alabama State. So those are tackles. Uh, what else could be a position here? Running back, we've discussed that many times in the third round. Miles Sanders, who we took last week. He's the top running back on the board. He's there. Daryl Henderson from Memphis. Speedster, he's there. David Montgomery, uh, um, Iowa State, I'm sorry. And Damian Harris from Alabama. They're all there. Tight end is something that we think that they're going to address, but we couldn't pass on Simmons in the second round, so we had to not take Irv Smith Jr. Now we're looking in round three, and Dawson Knox from Mississippi. Kayla Waring from San Diego State is there. Those are probably Josh Oliver from San Jose State. He's there. What are you thinking right now at this point? Is uh, Terry McLaurin in there? Yes, he is. Wide receiver from Ohio State. He's there. We have wide receivers, obviously a possibility, but yeah, Terry McLaurin is there. In fact, he's a top wide receiver on the board right now, according to the draftnetwork.com. So I have, we haven't taken him in any of our drafts and it's been really hard for me to not do it. Tell us about him. Tell fans why they would. 
Oh, dude, I love Terry McLaurin, and he is my uh, with Irv Smith. He's my top draft crush this year. Uh, the, he dominated at the Senior Bowl. Uh, I think he's a better prospect than Paris Campbell is the other wide receiver out of Ohio State. I think he's one of the most well-rounded prospects at wide receiver. I think he's just got really good technique. I think he's got a lot more speed than he shows. He did test well at the combine, but I think his game speed is better than that. Uh, he's just got everything you want out of a football player. He's uh, a captain. He's a special teams ace. He's a gunner, so he's going to make an impact there immediately he has the ability to separate at the line of scrimmage off a of press so he's got all these things that i love to me he's a, a poor man's robert woods is how i would describe him because he's not scared to get in there and block he's a little bit scrappy more athletic than he looks uh so i i absolutely love the kid and one thing that stood out to me at the senior bowl outside of his special teams ability was he was burning defensive backs and after he would burn them he would go up and talk to him and talk to him, them about what he did and how they can stop him uh, and was just working with the defensive backs on them getting better. And I think that stood out to a lot of coaches at the senior bowl. And we know the bills love seniors. Uh, we know they love mature players. We know they love guys that can contribute on special teams. I think he's a big time process guy. And I think he fits what they're looking for. I don't know if he's going to be a prospect. They look at just because of what they addressed in free agency, but my draft crush, my you know online draft crush is so hot for him that I, I can't keep passing on him in our mocks. Well, let's take him. And I'm going to tell you what, I'm glad that we're having this discussion because this is why I think the Buffalo Bills free agency period was so important. We're going to take Terry McLaurin, a wide receiver in the third round. So we've taken two defensive linemen and now a wide receiver because of what we did in free agency. And we, I mean, because we're playing Brandon Bean right now. They went out and they signed Mitch Morse and they signed Long. They signed Feliciano. They signed Spain. They signed Niseki. They signed Adrian Waddle. They went out and signed all these offensive linemen. If there's a guy that you love at a draft at your spot and you think he's the best player, by all means, take him. You know, if, if at nine, if they do love Jonah Williams at nine, take him. Great. If take they him. love Lindstrom yep. at 40, take him. But if you don't, you don't have to take them because I think the Bills did a good enough job with the offensive line this year that they legitimately could go through this draft right now, just like we are, and say, I don't like a, an offensive tackle is not the best player in this position, so we don't need to take them. Yep. Ditto at running back, by the way, because Miles Sanders was the top running back on the board, and I like him, but we don't have to take him. We have Frank Gore. We have LaShawn McCoy already. We don't have to take that running back because we're thin there. We're not thin there. Not this year anyway. They will be after this year, but they're not right now. Yep. Yeah, no, I think they've done a great job. And I think while fans are clamoring for a more dynamic tight end, I think that this team is actually pretty happy with Tyler Croft as the starting tight end on this team. So I don't think they're going to even jump over jump at that position unless it falls to them the right way. I think the only place that they're saying, you know what, we got to get in this draft is going to be a defensive end and a defensive tackle. I think those are the two positions that they're looking at and saying, we got to walk away with guys. And in our scenario, we took a red shirt uh, defensive tackle. And I think they'd, they'd be pretty happy with that scenario, knowing that they're going to get a top talent at that position. If they don't go with Lynch, if they don't go with uh, Simmons, I think they still try to address that at some point early in the, uh, in the draft, because I think those are the only really two things that they they may feel like they have to walk away with, but everything else, I think that they feel they've either addressed or that they could still address in free agency later. And Brandon Bean spoke to that 
uh, when he talked about running backs today saying, you know, Hey, there's some guys in the drafts, but you know what? There's still also guys out there in free agency that can make an impact on a team, uh, if they walk off the street tomorrow. So I, I think that they're very comfortable with this roster and they should be, especially offensive line. They went from one of the worst units in football, laughable unit to a legitimate starting and like real NFL starters. So, uh, I, I think that they should be comfortable where they're at. We're in round four now. The Bills have two picks. We're at 112. And at the top of this board anyway, there's just a shitload of running backs. You got Henderson, got Montgomery, got Damian Harris, Justice Hill, and Devin Singletary. They're all there. Mike Edwards is a guy we've taken in each of our first two mocks of safety. He's there. And at tight end, which is a position we have not yet been able to address because some things have fallen our way. I, I don't know much about these guys, honestly, at this point. Elise Mack is there from Notre Dame. I do know him. Caden Smith from Stanford. Isaac Noeta from Georgia. Not a lot. It does no one who stands out for me. They're all kind at, of the same. Yeah. yeah, at tight end. Is this? Do you think this is a spot where you go running back? With the way this board has fallen, I don't hate that idea, and I'm pretty happy with all of them. A guy that I'm I'm really liking right now is Damian Harris out of Alabama. Um, I, I just I've been watching a lot of Jonah Williams because Eric over at Cover Williams broke down a ton of Jonah Williams tape, which you could go check out. Uh, because there was obviously the late, lately there's been rumors uh, flying that the Bills have the, a lot of interest in him at nine. Uh, so Eric did a lot of breakdowns, and when you're watching the Alabama breakdowns, you can't watch the offensive lineman without watching some of the run games. So I've seen a lot of Damian Harris lately. Uh, so I, I like what I see with him, but uh, I think Montgomery is also a nice fit. Which one you want to go? I'm down with the running back. I think this is a good spot. We're in the fourth round right now. It's a guy that's not a lot of pressure for him to come in and he doesn't even have to be the number two right away. He could start out as a number three. So this is kind of a low pressure pick. If you go running back, let's take one. Who do you got? Who do you want? Let's go. Uh, you know, Brian Dable, Alabama connection. Let's go Harris and say that Brian Dable really likes him and is pounding the table for him. And I think, I think I'm happy with that. All right, there we go. Damian Harris. And now we're going on the clock with our last pick, which is the second pick of the fourth round. 131 overall. I'll tell you, let's have this guy be our three Pete. If he's there, let's look at safety. And if he's there, Mike Edwards, we've talked about him the last two weeks and he is there. I think, and you let's keep it consistent. Let's keep it consistent because I think you bring up a good point. First of all, they don't have a great, they don't have a ton of safety depth after Poyer and Hyde. Someone could get hurt and there's no guarantee. Both of those guys are going to be around for the long term. They've both been really good. I think they both outperformed their contract to this point. I like Poyer a lot and I like Hyde a lot, but it doesn't hurt to have a good quality third safety, a youngster in there to learn from them and potentially take over or maybe one of them two someday. So are you good with Mike Edwards here again? Yeah, I am. I totally agree with you. I think they're going to have a really tough time. Both those guys uh, are going to come up to contract, and I think they're going to have a tough time keeping both of them, um, especially I look at that Adrian Amos deal uh, that he left Chicago for to go to Green Bay, and I guarantee you that Jordan Poyer and Micah Hyde were looking at that deal, uh, knowing that their production's been better uh, than his has and, and knowing that they're probably if they hit the open market that that's the kind of money they're looking at all right so we have completed our buffalo bills mock draft version number three montez sweat round one jeffrey simmons a surprise in round two third round terry mclaren wide receiver from ohio state and then in the fourth round we got damian harris a running back from alabama and for the third straight week mike edwards safety from Kentucky. Fans are going to like that. I, I, again, I would say 
The Jeffrey Simmons pick would be a hot button topic. I could picture WGR right now. Pros and cons, lots of callers, some of them probably hating it. I like it though a lot. Again, you get a top 10, 15 talent. It's worth having them miss a year. Oh, yeah. I mean, they're not the team yet that uh, can afford to do that, but they're close. And and I, I would just love to have to walk away from this draft with two top 15 talents. I, I think that'd be crazy. Can you think of a time, though? So we got two Mississippi State players in our first two picks. Has that ever happened for the Bills before? I'm sure it's happened for other teams. Obviously, it happened with the Patriots last year where they got uh, the Georgia lineman and uh, Sony Michelle. But has that ever happened for the Bills where they got two guys from the same school with their first two picks? If it has, I can't think of it. I can't think of it Not off the top of my head anyway. That'd be a pretty cool thing, man, to have two defensive linemen. They've spent the fewest amount of resources right now on the defensive line. So it would not be surprising. And even if it's not, let's just say it's not Jeffrey Simmons. Let's just say they get Montez Sweat at nine, which by the way, and we'll talk about this more next week, even if Ed Oliver is there at nine, that's still a conversation to be had between Montez oh, yeah. Sweat and Ed Oliver. 100%. And let's say they go Sweat, and let's say they take, I don't know, maybe Jerry Tillery or another yeah. lineman, Sanders, that Kali Sanders we talked about, anyone at 40 who's going to play. I think it's a very strong possibility that the first two picks could both be defensive linemen, even if one of them's not Jeffrey Simmons. Yep. I actually can see also a scenario and, and this is putting on my tinfoil conspiracy hat a little bit, but I can see a scenario where they try to get back into round one and go after Wilkins, uh, a, a guy that checks a lot of the process bo- boxes. And if he starts falling into the mid twenties, I could see Brandon Bean similar to how they went back up to get Edmonds last year, uh, packaging some picks. Cause we know they're not going to leave with 10 prospects. No, I think no, no. Everybody no, no. can say whether they trade back to future picks or something, they're getting, they're moving some of these picks somewhere. So they're moving in this draft. It depends on where, and if, uh, if they don't hit on defensive tackle early and Wilkins is, is kind of hanging in the twenties, I think that he's a target. I'll tell you what, if I were to bet on one thing in this draft above drafting any player, I was to have one bet that I'd feel confident in is that the Bills aren't picking at 40. Yeah. They're coming up from 40. I don't know for who. I don't know how high. Maybe it's just two, three picks. Maybe it's 10. Maybe it's 15. I don't know. But they're not staying at 40. That's just the way Brandon Bean operates. He's going to move I like up. it. Me I too. like it a lot. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Listen, before I let you go, follow Aaron, by the way, everyone. Aaron's on Twitter at AaronQuinn716. Tell everyone what you guys got going on at CoverOne.net. It's getting really close to draft time. I'm sure you guys are pumped over there. Dude, we got a ton of content coming out. Like I said, uh, Eric was just doing some Jonah Williams film, breaking it down. He's got a piece coming out on him. Uh, One of the things that Eric does best is archetype players. So I I do a lot of the graphics over there too. So I was working on some archetype stuff. Yeah. Um, breaking it down by positions, top five guys that meet all the thresholds for the bills and basically kind of helping to determine who they're really looking at. So there's some interest. I can't get into too many of them until he releases them, but he's going to start dropping those here this week. Uh, and he's going to talk about it on our podcast this Wednesday, uh, a little bit about which guys that bills are going to should be looking into. Um, and obviously we have the two more podcasts before the draft comes up. Uh, Nate Gary, Greg are holding it down this week. Uh, I got some relatives in town, so they're holding it down and then next week we got russell brown who covers our draft pod and we're doing a, a full mock 
uh, just really talking about the positions, the archetypes, who the bill should be pinpointing, all that the week before the draft. And we have some cool giveaways from uh, the Buffalo Sports Card Convention uh, that they've they've sponsored this show. And so we're going to be doing some cool giveaways live. Just a lot of content coming out. Cover One Buffalo. Uh, if you like podcasts like this one you're listening to, check it out. Um, you know, we're, we're all bills all the time. Uh, and, and it's a lot of fun. We got to get you on the show, man. Anytime, bro. Anytime. I got you. Next week, me and you, right here, Buffalo Bills, our final mock draft. Set of four rounds. We're going to do all seven, even if we got to just throw some names out there in the last couple rounds. Who really cares? It'll be fun. Again, seven rounds, Buffalo Bills, final mock draft, just two days before the actual NFL draft. Me and you. Let's do it, man. All right, boys and girls, that is going to do it for today. Big thank you again, Aaron Quinn from Cover One, recurring guest on this podcast, one of my favorites. Another Buffalo Bills mock draft in the books. That's three down, one more to go. We'll do a final mock draft next Tuesday, two days before the actual NFL draft. Looking forward to that. Thanks as well to my man, Sean Chandler. Another solid movie review. This time it was Pet Cemetery. Make sure you check out his YouTube channel. Sean Chandler talks about tons of great stuff on there. Movie reviews, movie rankings, countdowns, all kinds of stuff. Definitely worth subscribing to. Again, that's Sean Chandler talks about on YouTube. And speaking of subscribing, if you have not yet done so already, please subscribe to this podcast. It's quick, it's easy, it's free. You subscribe and new episodes will get sent directly to your device within just seconds of being released. That's the biggest benefit of being a subscriber. You're going to get it before anyone else does. Don't forget to rate and review. It only takes a minute and I can't emphasize this enough. I say it all the time. It really helps me grow this podcast tremendously. Speaking of this podcast, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, pretty much anywhere that podcasts are found. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Pamoran Tweets. Thanks again for listening. I really appreciate all of you very, very much. And I'll be back with a new episode on Friday. I'll catch you on the flippity flip. Bye.